At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning into our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to his followers in the book of John, we'll learn to follow in the steps of Christ as he marks out the way of discipleship for us. All right, as we start out, have you guys ever heard the term uh, having a green thumb? Yeah? Anybody here have a green thumb? Green thumb, it's you're really good with plants, growing plants. I am not that person. I am a plant killer. They should put it on my resume. I am so bad with plants. Everything I do, it fails. I've um, poured time and money into the plants that I have. I've tried watering it. I've tried fertilizing plants. I've tried giving different amounts of sunlight because some plants are so finicky where you, it gives too much light. It, it requires too little light. I don't know. And so everything I try fails, and I'm so frustrated. I'm not going to, I'm not frustrated with you guys, but I'm frustrated that I kill everything that is green. Um, there was one year where I received a chia pet for my birthday. You guys know what a chia pet is, right? You like put some paste with the seeds over whatever object it is. And so I did that. And over the course of a couple of weeks, I don't know how long it was, it sprouted green. And so the first moment I saw green, it was great. I thought it was a success. And literally about maybe a couple days later, I watered it incorrectly. I don't know what, but it immediately turned brown. And ironically, it was actually a walking dead chia pet where a zombie hand is coming out of the ground and it's now being surrounded by dead plants. So it was <laughs> so I'm at a loss for this. And so... Um, up until now, so I, I have an object lesson here. And I think I grabbed the heaviest stand ever known to man. This is not a magic show, I just wanted to cover it up. And so here, I finally have succeeded in a growing a green plant, thank you. Um, this tree, this, this, I don't even know what it is, obviously. Um, this is about five days old. <laughs> I bought it from the store like five days ago. I'm lying to you guys right now. Um, I did nothing to this plant, although it was out on my front porch the last couple days, and I legitimately thought it was going to freeze over. So luckily, it's here right now. It's green. Um, pray that this stays green. We're going to bring this up back up later. There is a point to this object lesson. Um, so I don't have a green thumb. Does anybody have a green thumb in here? Raise your hands. Okay, don't brag about it. That's, that's not nice. <laughs> it takes talent, though. It really does. And so as I've been taking care of different plants, I bring this up because in the life of Jesus, uh, he brings up a lot of gardening parables, truly. From, being, uh, from the seed being sown in different soils, the kingdom of heaven being compared to a mustard seed, and the story of Jesus and the fig tree, are you guys familiar with this fig tree story here? Yeah. Well, so the day after he triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem, the gospel author Mark tells us that Jesus was walking by a fig tree. As Jesus approached the fig tree, he decided to look for some figs, but the tree wasn't in season. And so Jesus found no fruit on the tree, 
And so the next moment is pretty startling where Jesus curses the tree so it would never produce fruit again. And so Jesus came looking for fruit, and when he didn't find it, he brought judgment against the tree. And that's, that's pretty startling. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus, why do you hate figs? It's very, very strange. But the same day, Jesus walks into Jerusalem, into the temple. Once again, he came looking for fruit, but spiritual fruit this time. And this time, he only found greed and exploitation. What should have been a house of prayer to God has been turned into a den of robbers, is what he compares it to. There wasn't any spiritual fruit, so Jesus brought judgment and drove them out of the temple. So what seems like two strange stories in the Gospel of Mark display a profound truth is that God desires for his creation and his people to be fruitful. John 15, 8, that we're going to get to later, says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. With those stories in mind, join me in a different gospel. It's John. I want you to open up your Bibles to John 15, the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be Bibles underneath your seats. If you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home. That is your Bible now. Uh, If you open up that Bible, it's on page 901 as well. And so we're in the middle of a series where we have been looking at Jesus' last teachings with his disciples prior to his death and resurrection. Uh, This very could be less than 24 hours before he is beaten, crucified, uh, that that day, 24 hours before, before this. And so in this section of teaching, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the path that lies ahead of them in their discipleship. And so he gives a series of teachings to help them be ready for the journey ahead. And this section has key aspects of what discipleship with Jesus looks like. Some things that we've already covered have been really foundational to uh, a disciple's faith in Jesus. The first being uh, Jeff brought up recently that we ought to reject ideas of I've got this, right? That we, we have the ability to muster our strength without God. He, he mentioned that we ought to take time to repent of the deep sinful parts of ourselves and rejoice in the benefits of forgiveness. Second, we found the way. The way, the truth, the life, right? If you're looking for your purpose in life, look to Jesus. Follow him. And last, we ought to rely on the Spirit, God has given us a helper, somebody within us. God, the Spirit, is enabling us for the ministry that he has called us towards. And so, but in our passage today, Jesus will remind us that, that there is something that displays our discipleship more than anything else. In fact, he says it proves our discipleship. And what is this? It's fruit. Fruit. The big idea today is that disciples of Jesus produce fruitful lives. Let's go to John 15, verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
the first point today is we ought to recognize our purpose. Recognize your purpose. Before we get into this, we, we ought to know where Jesus is coming from. He often spoke in parables or word pictures so that his audience back in the first century knew what he was talking about. I love Jesus in this way because he, he refers to himself in other sections of scripture as the light, as the door, as the shepherd, and here is the vine. Very likely, the vine was very uh, popular in Palestine. You've got a picture here. Also, this is a vine, right? No, it's not. Come on, guys. I said I don't have a green thumb. And so very, very likely, Jesus was literally standing by a vine as, as, as he was giving this teaching to his disciples and people around. So it was very tangible. You could see it right in front of you. And I love Jesus in this way because he meets us where we are at. So we go to verse 1. He compares a lot of people to different things in this word story here. So who's who? Jesus is referred to as the vine. He is the true vine. The father is the vine dresser, or better known as the gardener is what we would say. And people are the branches either producing fruit or not producing fruit, the dead branches. And so last week, it's important that we touch on this. It brings up different people here. Um, We touched on this last week that there is a triune nature to our God, that he is three persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's confusing. We don't understand it. It's a mystery, but it is true. And here it uplifts this point because Jesus and the Father are brought up in this passage, and it uplifts that doctrine right there. It also talks about this section about the true vine, who is Jesus, what it means to be a disciple by producing fruit, and how the Father cares for us in that process. Let's go to the Father. The, the Father is that caring gardener. He, he loves you. He cares for you and makes sure you are shaped correctly, and he prunes specific parts, and we'll get to that, but he is a perfect God who waters you, he prunes you, ensures that you grow, He watches over you. One commentator mentions that never was any gardener so wise, so watchful about his vineyard as God is about his church. He is so caring. And now to Jesus. Jesus is the vine. He starts this entire section with yet another very controversial and very bold statement, as Jesus does, by saying, I am not just the vine, but the true vine. And this was very, very controversial because, as last week that Jeff put it, is the New Testament readers or listeners would have understood, that's pointing back to the Old Testament. I know that. And in this, he is fulfilling part of the Old Testament. They would have understood him saying, I am the true vine. He is drawing on a prophetic image used throughout the Hebrew Bible's writings as a picture of the nation of Israel and its mission. Psalm 80, you can write these down if you're taking notes. I'll go a little slower. Psalm 80, Isaiah 27, Jeremiah 21, Ezekiel 15, and Hosea 10. All of these use the image of Israel being a vine. Further, the image of the vine is also used to discuss the mission of Israel, which was to fill the world with the fruit of God's kingdom. You guys have a vine at your house right now? 
it gets everywhere. It's very annoying sometimes because if it surrounds a tree, it can actually kill it, and it's, it's a spreading plant, so it gets everywhere. And in the same way, the mission of Israel was to spread everywhere. And the prophet Isaiah gives us this image when he writes in Isaiah 27.6. It should be up on the screen right here. In days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. So the vine was an important symbol for the nation of Israel. By declaring that Jesus is the true vine, Jesus is claiming that he is in fact the true Israel, the one who fulfills God's promises for his people. This is very big, and this is why Jesus was killed for what he was saying in his day. By saying, I am the true vine, Jesus is both declaring that judgment on Israel for its lack of fruit, and that he is now the one through whom the fulfillment of God's mission is to come. This is big. And so Jesus is that fulfillment. And so now to the people. In verse 2, we are the branches, us, people. Next, we see uh, two different branches, branches that have fruits and branches that are dead. True believers are involved in bearing fruit, like I said. And then counterfeits are dead branches without fruit, or these are hypocrites that are not in Christ, yet claim Christ. So what happens to these branches? First, the, the, the fruit branches, they either produce fruits or they are pruned. And so before we get any farther, it's very, you can often spiritualize fruit. Us in ministry, you can say, man, that was a fruitful time. Or we use this word a lot of different ways. Um, Maybe you're thinking even fruit may be how we show that we are good people. But rather in Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is what? It is love, it's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the fruit that he is talking about. In Jesus, we see an increase in love like you've never loved before. In Jesus, you've seen an increase in self-control that you've never seen before. So as we grow in Christ, we see the fruit of the Spirit show itself in real ways. But when when we begin to make improvements, this passage shares that we are pruned. And as an example for that, I got a slide but I also have um, some shears here. I don't know if they're actually called shears. It, technically, you should have a pruner, but this is just overkill. So you guys in the back, can you see this? Great. So this is what God the Father does. He literally cares for the vine, and if it's producing fruit, he actually cuts it back. And I don't want to really be careful with this. I don't want to kill this plant. But he essentially just, that's, that's terrible. This is why I'm terrible with plants. I told you guys. But he essentially prunes part of the branch. And it seems like, God, why are you doing that? It seems like you're going to kill it. But why does he do this? What does the text say? It's to ensure that it may bear more fruit. It's actually beneficial to the plant. The the ironic nature of gardening is for the health of the plant, pruning is required. And it it is ensuring that it may bear more fruit. And the Father cuts us back in the same way that we may increase in love, that we may increase in goodness, in faithfulness. 
And so believers, through the test of time, have been cut back so that that can happen. I have been cut back so that that could happen. I can't tell you how God works, but I have. There was a time in back in, I think it was 2014, where I personally have an autoimmune disease where I developed scar tissue over part of my colon. They essentially had to remove part of that intestine, um, and so I, I underwent surgery. And if you've ever had abdominal surgery, it was not fun. They essentially, uh, it was just a couple inches, and instead they took out an entire foot. But it's lucky because we have 15 feet, so, or even more, so I, I have a lot more. Um, God has been very faithful in this. But during that season, I was bedridden, watching Star Wars, reading my Bible. Uh, one of those things helped me grow in Christ. Um, and in that, I was forced to release control over my life. If you've ever had surgery, you know what I'm talking about. It, you're, you're done working, you're done learning, you're essentially bedridden, and there's nothing you can do. So the lesson I learned in that was I was essentially controlling my life through closed fists. And through that time, I learned to live a life surrendered to God with arms open wide. And so in that, it was a terrible circumstance. I wouldn't do it again. Um, but in that, I can thank God for what I learned through that. Because without that, man, I would still be vying for control over my life. So as believers, expect pruning. Expect it. Here's the kicker, too. As I was trying to understand plants a little bit more than I do, I came across the information when it comes to caring for vines. And when vine branches are pruned, the gardener actually takes into account not only the first year, and I've got an image here, but also year two, year three, year four, so that when he's pruning, uh, he can actually shape the plant the way he wants it to be so that he's not just making a cut for the next year, but he's making that cut thinking of year four down the road. You seeing the spiritual significance behind that? Like God knows what he is doing. He is shaping you into the image of Christ, who is the true vine. And we can over-spiritualize a lot of vines. I don't think that's why Jesus re referred to himself as the vine, but it's truly significant to understand the gardening behind how you care for vines because I believe God cares for us in the exact same way. So pruning is one way the Father cares for the plant, but Jesus, Jesus also shares that branches are taken off. He refers to dead branches. And so here it is shared that there are many who pass for branches in Christ but don't bear fruit they're, they are there in the mix, but they're not drawing life from the vine in the same way that the fruitful branches are. Were they really united to Christ by faith, they would bear fruit. But being only tied to him by the, by the thread of an outward profession, they will soon be dry ones. And this is the, the very sad nature of the vine. And later in verse 6, we'll get to it, but it describes how they are cast into the fire and are burned. Because when you burn vine branches, it ensures it will never grow again. And then we get to verse 3. It references that you are clean now. It seems like it's out of place. We're talking about a vine, and all of a sudden Jesus says, you are clean. Why? Because of the word 
that I have spoken to you. Because of the word, it is belief in Christ that calls us clean. His statements that he's made through scripture is, I am the son of God. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the Messiah, the only one who can save you. By believing, you are declared clean in that moment. And know that these disciples, these idiots, are going to betray Jesus in the next 24 hours. Yet, he says you are clean. Knowing that. I'm not making fun of them. We would do the exact same thing, would we not? And so in that, be gracious to yourself, Christian, because when you accept Christ, you are called clean. Our position is not who we are, what we do, but who we are in Jesus. We ought to know our purpose as a believer in Christ, that when you are attached to the vine, you have purpose, you have life. God has planted this vine in the ground, Jesus, to come and live a perfect life for us. Yet he willingly was chopped down and he died and suffered for us, but yet he rose again and now we have the ability to be attached to this vine as true fruit-bearing branches. This is the gospel that he has given to us. And it, there's no requirement. It is just by his word, believing he is the son of God, able to save you, that you are declared clean. So where are you with Christ in this moment? Where do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Are there evidences in your life that you are bearing fruit? Or are you thinking, maybe I am a dead branch? Only you know, only God knows. So this brings us to our second point, is that we ought to remain in Jesus. Let's pick it up in um, verse 4 here. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Really focus on this section about abiding in Jesus. Now that we've found the way, we ought to abide in order to produce fruit. Abiding is really just deep love. It's deep, deep love for Jesus. And this nature of abiding is reciprocal. He says, abide in me and I in you. It's two ways. So my question is, do you love Jesus? He is the object of our faith. There is nothing else that he calls you to besides loving him. Abiding in the vine, that is what connects you. Our reality as a disciple of Jesus is union with Christ, with the vine. This is celebrated in baptism when we dunk people up here. This is celebrated through communion as we partake and remember what he has done for us. This is celebrated in our salvation story as we remember what Christ has brought us out of. 
We are welcomed and we are delighted in Jesus. So in verse 4, just like a branch can't survive without the vine, so too we can't produce fruit without abiding in Jesus. He says, I abide in you and you abide in me. That's what produces fruit. Without Christ, nothing is produced. There's no way that you can produce fruit without Jesus. And I really should have grabbed this when I was down here, but I'm going to come back down. So right here, I have another uh, a pot right here filled with dirt. You remember when I cut off part of the branch, leaf. Imagine, God has pruned you. He has cut you off. There are ways that we can grow that we may bear more fruit. But maybe you're a dead branch. Maybe you're a branch that chooses that there is another source of life, as we all have. There's something else that can save us. So you're here on the ground. Maybe you can find root over here. There's no way that you can find life over there. Or maybe there's a way where you can find something else that may produce fruit in your life, where you may find life. And so if I stuck this leaf right here in this dirt, those of you who have a green thumb, would this grow? No. Is it going to take root? You can, you can call this pot of dirt anything you want in your life. What's the idol in your life? What's the idol in my life? You know. And so this right here, this does not give life. You will not grow roots. This will become brown and dead, just like my chia pet, and it will die. And sadly, that is the reality for us all, that unless you are connected to the vine, that is what produces life and fruit. And what's Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the vine, you can do nothing. It is by this divine power that we live and we move and have our being. Apart from, we can do nothing towards saving ourselves. There's nothing the Spirit uh, can do to us becoming holy. We are fully dependent on Christ for producing fruit. In Christ, our very bodies and our souls are given life. We are drawing the rich nutrients from the vine because it is only Jesus who produces fruit. It is the vine. And then in verse 6 is the bad news. That if anyone does not abide in Jesus, we see the burning of branches. That you're not connected. It, it withers and dies. It, it's gathered and burned. A commentator uh, describes this of those broken off. Those that abide not in Christ shall be abandoned by him. They are left to themselves to fall into scandalous sin then are justly cast out of the communion of the faithful. They are withered as a branch broken off from a tree. Their parts and gifts wither. Their zeal and devotion wither. Their credit and reputation wither. Their hopes and comforts wither. They are cast into the fire and are burned. This is why Jesus constantly said, Come to me. Come to me. I am the one who gives life. He has given you an opportunity, so take it. You will experience life to the fullest, true life. Without me, you will die. And yet we think that we can find life somewhere else. And he gives us the freedom to choose, which I love about him, but unfortunately people choose otherwise. And what does it say? They are burned. 
Maybe you're on, you're, you're on board. You're saying, yes, sign me up. I'm on board. Let me just, I don't know how to abide. So the remaining part is not just spiritual, but let's be practical on how do you abide in the vine. And that, that's the next section in John 15, 7 through 8. Let's read it. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how do you abide? Very clearly, through the word and prayer. Through the word and prayer. Simply put, listen to God and talk to God. Very clearly. If we are to produce his fruit, we must be abiding in his words, for that is how his words come to abide in us. Everybody who's reading a Bible, hold up your Bible. Hold up your Bible and repeat after me. I will read my Bible this week. All right, thank you. That, that's all. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Dwell in these rich scriptures to allow God to shape you. I, I love efficiency personally, and there are times in my life where I don't think that this is how I can grow in Jesus. Like, I think there's some other more efficient way where I can quickly do it so that I don't have to read and slow down my life because it takes time. It takes energy to pray and read your Bible. And so that, that's completely false. It, it's in the word that we receive and embrace him. Where the words of Jesus dwells richly, so does Jesus. We ought to memorize his word. I'm a terrible memorizer. I'm, I'm completely awful. But when you memorize, uh, so that in the everyday moments of life, we know how to display the reality of Jesus. And one very beneficial tool is actually around my wrist right here. I got these bracelets that have scripture around them, and it's called the Bible Memory Project. And it helps you memorize just specific verses throughout the entire month. It's been really good for me because I'm terrible at memorizing. And so I encourage you to look into that, but really focus on his word. It is through that that God shapes the branches. And then talk to God. Pray. Ask and it will be done. Jesus further teaches that when his word is in us, we can ask whatever we wish and it will be done. When God's word abides in us, it changes the way we pray because we start praying God's will over the situations in our lives, not just our own. God, give me a Ford Bronco. Please give me a Ford Bronco. That may not be his will for, you, your, his will for your life. You remember Pastor Jeff's message? And the most dangerous line a disciple could say is, I got this. I got this. If our own control over a difficult situation is not working, give the situation to God. Ask and he will help. Why, are, why am I so stubborn? Why are you so stubborn that we think we can solve these problems on our own? Is that... Give thanks to Jesus Christ for the work and sacrifice he provided for us and he will give answers of truth from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Both the word and prayer will allow us to abide in Jesus and for Jesus to bear fruit in our lives. That is the truth today. 
As an illustration, imagine if you're married, you have a spouse with you. The marriage is not done when you've signed that contract or that covenant. Imagine if we signed our covenant with Christ and we just went on our own way. It takes daily communication. What is a marriage without communication in time? If you live separate places, don't talk to them. Is that a marriage? But when you dwell in that marriage, you drink deeply from the roots and understand its origin and you appreciate the fruit that comes out of it, you see that in the same way with Jesus. If we are to produce fruit in our lives as disciples of Jesus, we must regularly engage God's word and prayer. Scripture reading and prayer is so important. Start small. You don't have to read the entire Bible in one day. Just a couple of suggestions. Read through the Gospels one chapter at a time. Maybe a verse a day if you haven't read your Bible in years. Just maybe even open your Bible in the morning. Don't even read. Just start creating that habit. Go a verse at a time, a chapter at a time. If you have a smartphone, look up these apps of the Daily Bread. They have physical books as well. It's in the lobby as well against the walls. Bible Study Together is another app that I use personally. The Bible app has a lot of different Bible studies. And then Dwell. If you're terrible at reading, Dwell, look into that, is a way where you can listen to God's word with different voices and different instrumental backgrounds as you're listening to God's word. Take time to pray into response of what you read as well. Don't just don't read and put it down and walk right away, but actually ask God, what am I to learn from this today? How can you shape me through the word that you've spoken already? And he'll speak to you. I guarantee that if you do this consistently, you will begin to see a change in your relationship with Jesus and how you live your life. Not a salesman here, but I guarantee you, as a believer, if you are regularly in God's word and praying, you will see a difference. He will shape you. Salesman of life. life. I'm not selling you anything. Jesus has already given All you have to do is receive. So through love and obedience is our last point. Through love and obedience. How do we abide? It's through obedience. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you may... That, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This describes how the Father is well pleased with Jesus, that he, uh, that he might be well pleased with us in Jesus. Even more, he loved him, that in him, as beloved, he might make us accepted. Like I said, he calls us clean. We are accepted. Everybody wants to, de- to belong to something. And in Jesus, God accepts us. In this, we see the relationship between love and obedience. Which, which comes first? Which is the response? If you love and abide in Jesus, oh, you will obey my commands. That's what God is saying. Not if you obey my commands, I'll abide in you and you and me. That will lead to enslavement. That if you do these things, then I will love you. 
That is not how our God works. That we are called clean and by that we produce fruit. You get that? You don't have to serve X amount of times in kids' ministry or as a greeter or talk to so many people about Jesus. You are accepted and then you will produce fruit from that. As a response to this love, we are called to keep the commandments of the Most High King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that we are called to obey these commandments. It's not a burden, it's a joy is what it says. We must abide in Christ's work as our righteousness. He is our shelter, he is our comfort, he is our support. And going back to the vine, the the knot of the branch abides in the vine and the sap of the vine abides in the branch. So there's a constant communication between the two that you don't have to obey out of your own strength. Oftentimes, like I said, we will. And in this series, we're talking about it being a trail guide, like we're on the road to something. And imagine the cross over there is our goal. Maybe we want to be more like Jesus. We want to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And the Holy Spirit is within us. He gives us support and guidance and direction in our life. And Jesus says, go forward. He gives us the, the commandments. He gives us the strength. And so we start walking towards that cross. But then in our own way, and we get feedback, uh, he says, continue going straight. But instead of that, I said, no, I'm pretty sure I know the way, Jesus. I'm pretty sure it's to the right over here by the drums. On the trail, imagine how, diff- how difficult this would be. You'd get lost immediately, and then he says, continue straight, and you turn left, because I know better, Jesus. You see, when we follow Jesus, he gives us the true way, and all we have to do is obey his commands and listen to him. You see, so many times in my life, I think that I know the better way. I know what to do. Jesus, you don't. But in reality, Jesus provides us the strength. He has given us the spirit, so we don't have to obey out of our own strength. It's in him. Your own strength does not got this. You will fail. Start with Jesus and the fruit will follow. And the obedience will follow. So if you're wondering in this moment, am I a branch? Am I, disconnect, am I disconnected from the vine? Am I the vine? If you are confused with my rambling, this is the big point. Abide in Jesus. Just love him. Find your joy and your comfort in Jesus this morning. Devote yourself to him like you've never done to anything before because he will give you life. Live a life dependent on the vine. Recognize if you are connected or disconnected. Bear fruit for the glory of the Father. Going back to the tree analogy in the beginning, 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked by this fig tree on a hill on his way to Jerusalem looking for fruit. And today, Jesus is still seeking fruit, but this time a different kind. He's looking for the good fruit produced by his followers. This is our glorious purpose. May we all abide in Jesus through this obedience, this love and prayer in the reading of his word that we might be disciples of Jesus who produce fruitful lives. Let's pray, church. And Father, right now, 
I pray, Lord, that we would have an overwhelming sense of your love. We thank you for planting Jesus as the perfect vine, the true vine, as somebody that we can cling to and find life and joy in our life. But Lord, we know the reality that there are people who are not connected. We may not be connected. And so in this moment, Lord, help us to do some really straight self-reflection as we see if we are truly connected to you. We want to find life in things. We try different things, but they fail. And so, Lord, I pray that we would cling to you and find life and joy. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here right now listening that they realize they are not, that you would tap them on the shoulder, bring conviction into their life, and say, I am the true vine. Find me. I am life. You will find life in me. And so, Lord, I pray for salvation today. I pray that you would really speak to us in a very real way. And Lord, we're grateful for the word that you've given us to us already. May we cling to it every moment this next week. Even if we haven't read our Bibles in years, help this to be the week where we find joy in your word. Help it not to be a burden. Help it to be a joy. And Lord, as we try to obey your commands this next week, help us not to work out of our own strength, but help us to work out of your life that you've given us. We don't want to perform for you. You've already done the work, and so all we can do is say thank you for what you've done. We pray that you would help us to produce fruit. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.